Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. All right, so we talked about Hannah. We're going to look at four, basically four characters leading up to David, and then we're going to hit the life of David. Last week, we looked at Hannah. We meet her in the very first chapter of 1 Samuel, and we talked about her situation. Hannah was barren. And if you remember, I read you a commentary by Brugman that said barrenness was a metaphor for what? Hopelessness. It is the desire to have a future, but you do not have the ability to get it. All right. If you remember, I told you the crazy story about the parent teacher conference and meeting the principal and asking her to read Hebrew. And I remember I, I, I gave her the example of why can't you read the Hebrew in the pages? Because you don't know how. And how hopeless is it when someone motivates you and then tells you to try harder and you want to do something, but you don't have the power to do it. It's a feeling of hopelessness. And that is what Hannah was feeling. I told you that there are three basic needs that humans need to feel hope. Number one was mastery. It means that you have power over your own story. That makes us feel hopeful when we have power over our own story. Number two was survival, problem solving, that we can solve problems, we can make it, we can survive. And number three is attachment, that we want to feel like we belong somewhere to somebody. And so those are the three elements that we need as human beings to feel hope. And we talked about how God created us and literally put us in an environment of hope. So here we have Hannah. She is barren. The Talmud said she's considered as good as dead in her community. She has no worth and no significance. And she is hopeless. So she is not feeling powerful. She's feeling what? Powerless. She is not feeling like she can uh, solve problems. She's feeling doom. And she is definitely not feeling attachment. She's feeling isolation. Don't know if you've ever felt that way. If you've ever felt powerless, doom, and isolation, but that's where she is. And to make matters worse, not only is the culture telling her she has no significance and no worth, but she has another woman who is constantly talking in her ear, sticking her finger in Hannah's womb, known as Panina, the other woman. Remember? Do you remember why he has another woman? Because Hannah has no children, and they need children in order to gain wealth, to hold property, to hand down inheritance, and so he took on Panina. Why is Panina such a stinker? She's like, come on, we know what women are like. She's hurting, and therefore she's projecting. Who is totally feeling insignificant and unworthy and insecure? Panina, why? Because who's loved? Hannah. Isn't it so sad that you have two women who are hurting, but what do they do? Make each other feel better? Encourage one another? No. A lot of times we provoke one another or we make matters worse. And so here was Panina constantly. The Bible said literally provoke means to rage like a storm. So Hannah had a storm raging within her. 
We talked about the fact, though, that Elkanah truly loved her. Do you remember what he said to her? Hannah, aren't I more to you than ten sons? And what was the answer? No. He was offering her romantic salvation. Hannah, isn't my love enough to mend all of your broken places? The answer is no. There is not another person alive that can mend all your broken places. The Cinderella story that we've been telling our little girls all along, that if you meet Prince Charming, all things are going to be bliss, right? Not true. If you have a love cup and you are putting your love cup out for other human beings to fill, it is going to be empty a lot. The only one that can totally fill that cup that knows that you are significant, that knows that you're worth, is the one who created you. He's crazy about you. Remember, I even sang to you last week. We all want to hear, good morning, beautiful. How was your night? We all want that. And the psalm says that every morning we have someone. Our creator waits for us to open our eyes so that he can look at you and say, good morning, beautiful. How was your night? And so we cannot get worthiness or significance from another human being. It says, I I think I read you a quote that the, the human heart is not safe until it's first loved by who? God. And so here Hannah is, she's raging inside like a storm and she makes a decision. The Bible says that Hannah rose. It said after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She makes a decision. That word rose means she literally made a decisive action. I don't know if you have ever had a storm raging inside of you that you felt powerless, you felt doom, and you felt isolation. And when you woke up in the morning, it was kind of your worst nightmare that you woke up anyway. And if you did, you had the desire to take the covers and pull them over your head and call it a day. Has anybody ever felt that way? Listen, here's the thing. Did, did you say yes to me? Yes. Yes, I, I'm like, I, I can't hear you. I, am I the only one? That has ever woken up on days like that or you've been through a period of time where you're like, yeah, I'm done. I've had enough. This is too much that you feel anxiety. You feel powerless. You have this storm raging inside of you. But I'm going to tell you this. Feelings are not truth. Feelings are indicators. You need to know your feelings because they tell you what's going on inside. But feelings are not truth. And so we have the ability to go past our feelings and to act, to make a decisive action. And that's what Hannah did. So can I tell you, if you're laying in the bed and you are feeling that way, listen to what I'm saying. I'm with you. I've been there. Get up. Get up. Do not lay in the bed because when you do that, the world seems so huge. And guess where it's sitting? Right on your chest. 
It seems like you can't even face it. But there is something that when you stand up and you look it in the eyeball and you start your day, it is a little different posture. And so she made a decision that she was going to take all of this storm and she was going to give it to God. Now I love, and I don't remember if I talked about it last week, I love Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Now, when it says do not conform, it's two Greek words, meta, schema. Meta means change. Schema means your outward person. And anytime I've ever heard this taught in church, they always assume that it says do not change your outer appearance or your outer person to be like the world. And they usually are referring to the world in the context of like Satan's economy, the world bad. But can I tell you that this just in general means do not conform to what you believe the world or other people want to see? It's saying, do not put on a mask. So let me ask you, do we just do that in the world or do we do that in the church? Have you ever put on a mask or put on veneer because you believe that's what people want to see and you're holding it all together? And guess what? No. He says, do not change your outward person, your outward personality, behavior, look, attitude to be like the world. But instead, I am commanding you to allow me, because this is something you can't do. I am commanding you to allow me to transform your mind. Transform is two Greek words, metamorphe. Meta means change. Morphe means from the inside out, to become new from the inside out. What does he care about? Does he care about your facade? No. What does he care about? Your heart. And he wants to change you from the inside out. So what he is saying is, listen, get real. I'm not concerned with that. Stop patterning your outward behavior by what everybody wants to see, whether we're talking about culture or we're talking about church, what I am concerned is about what's going on in the inside. Because whatever's going on in the inside, that is what's gonna change you and begin to produce fruit. And he says, be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Most people teach that, oh, well, you gotta get your face in the book, you gotta do a quiet time. I'm telling you, the renewal of your mind is not just waking up in the morning and reading five minutes of the Bible and doing a quiet time and checking it off. I've done it. I've renewed my mind. Really? Because I'm pretty sure renewal of your mind takes time and it takes struggle. Why? Because in order to renew your mind, you must first know your mind. You need to know what you typically think about. You need to know your self-talk. Are you following me? Because I can tell you, I have patterns of thinking that have been in my life for a really long time. I have go-tos, do you? I have self-talk about me. I have self-talk about my parenting or my life or what people think of me or my relationships, whatever. I have what-ifs. 
oh my gosh, what if this happens? What if that happens? And it is, I, my mind can go to those things in a matter of two seconds. Here's the deal. You need to know what ruts you have created in your thinking. How do you create a rut? You're constantly thinking that. Constantly. You can go from zero to 80 in like two seconds. So in order to transform your mind, you first must recognize what you think about. And when you recognize it, you stop and you say, that is just not true. That is not true. And that is when you pull out God's word through quiet time, through the help of a counselor, through the help of a pastor, whatever it takes. And you say, this is not true. And you combat it with the word of God. And over time, guess what? You begin to create new paths. Those ruts start to smooth out because you're not listening to that anymore. Can I tell you that if your thoughts were a person, you, you would not be able to stand her. Think about it. Think about a high school student, girl, okay? The guy she likes, I'll call you later, okay. Never called, all night long, never called. Supposed to come over, never came over. All the whole next day, he never showed up. What do you think she's thinking? Oh my gosh, he hates me, he doesn't like me anymore, he's out with someone else. Um, I mean, all of this, this, these thoughts are speaking to her, right? Well, guess what? Didn't talk, didn't see him the whole next day, but the next night he shows up. Oh my gosh, you're never going to believe what happened to me. I lost my keys, da, da, da. He has like a legit excuse. What do your thoughts do in one second? Oh, isn't he so sweet? That was so wrong. He is the nicest guy. Honestly. If you had a friend that flipped like that in 20 seconds, would you ever listen to him? Over here, he didn't give crap about you. You need to break up with him. He is so inconsiderate. And then you find out why, oh, isn't he precious? He brought you flowers. He's the most wonderful thing. That's how our thoughts are, all right? And so we have to recognize him and we have to stop him. I will never be enough. Um, God, God is so disappointed in me. He's so angry. Really, Shannon? Because I could swear the Bible says he sings over you, that you are his delight and you start to combat it and it takes struggle. And a lot of times the most transforming times of your life are going to be in times of pain and suffering because that's when you're listening and seeking the most. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. I found this out. I trust me. I like veneer and I would uh, hold everything together that way if I could. Um, and I really bought into some of the lies that I grew up that you needed to hold everything together and you didn't need to speak negative and you only need to honor certain people in your life. And so you would hold it together. And so being vulnerable is hard for me. And I remember the first time out on stage, I was really vulnerable and um, I was in a, a, I wasn't in Phoenix, I was somewhere else and I was about to speak and um, you know, my life had fallen apart and, and my kids were, hurting and 
really, I was like, oh my goodness, with each month, something new was just, it, it was just falling apart. And so I was on the phone with my adult kids who were at each other's stinking throat. And they were fighting like you have never seen. And I'm trying to be a referee from a hundred jillion miles away on the phone. And I finally said to them, you know what? Figure it out. You're adults. I am hanging up this phone. I cannot help you. And I need to go tell people about Jesus. Come. <laughs> and I was about to walk out on the stage for this VIP session. And when I did, the chairs were up front. And all these women were in the crowd waiting to meet their speakers. And I was about to have a nervous breakdown. And what I heard when I walked out did not help. First one, and these, these women are legit, so nothing against them. This is how it affected my heart. Hi, my name is Melissa Spolster, and I'm one of your Bible teachers today. And I've been married to my pastor husband for 25 years, and my kids, da-da-da-da-da. And hi, I'm Amber Lee Neese, and I've been married to my fine man for 20-some-odd years, and I still like my high school students, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And hi, I'm Mia Kane, and I'm your worship leader, and by the grace of God, and if you knew her testimony, she means by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I've been married to my husband for 25 years, and all three of my kids are walking with Jesus, and they all got married this year, <laughs> and I could feel it coming, and I could not control it. I was like, oh, no, oh, no, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I can feel it coming from my toes. And I'm sitting there, and I literally turned to the crowd, and I said, hi, <laughs> my name is Shannon Hopper. I'm one of your Bible teachers. And to be honest with you, I was married for 25 years until the wheels came off. And if I'm re being really honest with you, I can't stand either one of my adult kids tonight. <laughs> and then I started to cry. <laughs> And Amberly put her arm around me, and I looked over at them, and they were shocked but smiling. And I looked at them, and I went, sorry, not sorry. And I looked out, and this woman was crying, and this woman was crying, and this woman was crying. And I said, listen, I'm just going to be real with you. I'm in a very hard time, and I am hanging on to Jesus. So if you want to hear what he's sharing with me, that's what's going to happen tonight. And I real and and literally Amberly Neese says it was like the Holy Spirit came down and ripped open the veil that night. And I realized that really women were more drawn to my brokenness than my perfection. Not that I ever wanted to exude perfection, but when I let it all out, they were like, okay. Because I had no idea how many of them were coming in brokenhearted. And they were like, what do I have in common with her? Boy, they found out, didn't they? Do not be conformed any, any longer to the pattern of this world. But instead, I command you through whatever it takes. Let me transform you from the inside out. Let me renew your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Listen, our, it all starts with our thoughts. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't control your thoughts, your thoughts will control your mood and they will control your behavior. And if you continue to allow that to go on, what you will then do is you will look out at your life and you'll begin to use things to validate your thoughts. See, I told you, this is how my life is. See, I knew that would happen. See, I can never be happy. 
and you start to become a perpetual victim. Motion brings emotion. Feelings change. They change. Hannah goes to the Lord. She knows two really important things. When she pours that prayer out, and by the way, she pours it out so hard that Eli thinks she's wasted. So that tells us a lot about Eli. Number one, he hasn't seen true worship in so long. Remember the culture. It's the time of the judges. Everybody was doing what they saw fit. It was chaos. So he hadn't seen brokenhearted, on your face, crying snot bubble worship, prayer, pouring it out. He thought she was drunk. And the thing is, he should have recognized it. And instead of just recognizing it, he should have joined her because I know the rest of his story. He should have been on his face right beside her. But she comes and she pours out. And in her prayer, she reminds herself of two really important things. Number one, she calls God Jehovah or Yahweh 18 times. That is his personal name, intimate name. It is the name that he uses, not in Genesis chapter 1. That's Elohim. That is the all-powerful, plural, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God name. But when you look at chapter 2, that is Jehovah or Yahweh Elohim. Why? Because now he's intimately acquainted. He is forming man and breathing in him the breath of life. It is his intimate name. It is the name that he gave Moses. When Moses says, who shall I say sent me when I go tell Pharaoh to let my people go? He said, you go tell them I am. When I was young, I thought that was the craziest name. I am? What is that? I am, Sam I am, green eggs and ham? I could not figure that out. Like, give me a name. I am? That's the greatest name you could ever be given. Basically, what he was saying is, Moses, don't worry about it. A name? Whatever it is you need, I am. If you need a counselor, I am. If you need a hiding place, I am. If you need a secret keeper, a redeemer, a savior, a strong tower, whatever it is, the name Yahweh says, I am. I am all of those things. She knew the intimate name of God. She knew that God loved her. She knew that he could see her, he would hear her, and he would act on her behalf. How did she know that? How did she know that? I'm going to tell you, because she knew the stories passed down from generation. Do you understand that the Old Testament, the stories we have, are the exact same stories that they told each other generation after generation at the dinner table, and we were blessed when they were finally written down and given to us. But she knew the stories. She knew the story of Sarah. She knew the story of Rebecca. She knew the story of Rachel. She knew the story of Hagar, that God could hear her. She knew that God could deliver his people out of slavery, that he could split the Red Sea. She knew that he could provide for them in the wilderness for 39 years. She knew that he could dry up the Jordan River and that he kept his promises to Joshua. She knew in the time of the judges that he was slow to anger and abounding in love, that he was faithful. I mean, they cheated on their groom for 400 years and he remained faithful. You want to talk about slow to anger and abounding in love. She knew all that. So she goes and she prays to a God that she knows is absolutely crazy about her and will listen to her. 
that when the entire culture thinks she has no worth and no significance, God thinks she is worthy, that she does have significance, and she pours out to him. Yahweh, she says his name 18 times. I love the verse Romans 15, 4. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction so that through endurance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. Did you get those two words? Through endurance and encouragement of Scripture. What does that mean? We're going to need endurance. Why? Because life is hard. So this whole prosperity gospel... Can I just say baloney? No. God did not promise us prosperity. He promised us suffering. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world and I will be with you the whole time. So as you're enduring, you be encouraged. How? In the scriptures. So that's why it's so sad to me when I think about the generations coming up and they are the most biblically illiterate generations I've ever known. Tell the stories. Tell the narrative. They were saved. They were written down. Why? So that we knew that we were just like these people, but we also know who God is and what he is capable. It's testimonies written down for us, for our encouragement. Not only did she call him Jehovah, she called him the Lord of hosts which also means the Lord of the angel armies. It's used 235 times in scripture and Hannah's the first one to use it. I love that. She goes in there and she thinks, okay, I'm talking to Yahweh, my intimate God, but I am not going to forget who he is. He is the Lord of the angel armies. You want to read a story about that? Go to 2 Kings chapter 6. You have Elisha and his servant, and they are surrounded by the Syrian army, brutal army, and the servant is freaking out. And Elisha goes, dude, calm it, calm down. The multitude with us is greater than the multitude with them. And he's like, "Um, I don't know what you're looking at, but we are surrounded. Have you ever been in a circumstance like that? There is no hope here. We're dead people. It's it's over. And Elisha prayed and said, God, open his eyes. And when he did, God opened the eyes of the servant and he looked up and the angel armies were surrounding the Syrians. Do you know what I think one of the greatest prayers is? Because I am telling you sometimes, I'm like, God, for someone who says, if we seek you, we will find you. You surely, you hide from me quite a bit. Is anybody else with me? I'm like, if you've promised me that, man, it's, I must, I I must not know how to seek you sometimes because I don't feel like I'm finding you. I don't see what you're doing. I don't see any good in this. I don't, I'm kind of mad at you. Um, I, I don't like it. And so here's the thing. When I don't know how he's working, when I can't figure it out, my greatest prayer is that one. Lord, I know you're good. I know you're all powerful, but I need you to give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Please, just give me eyes to see what you're doing 
and ears to hear what you're trying to say to me because I'm, I'm not getting it. I'm not seeing it. And I'm trusting in you, but I need you to start showing me just a piece of what is going on. The Lord of the angel armies, the multitude at his fingertips would blow your mind. You do not have to see it for it to be true. And it, the victory doesn't always look like you think it's going to look. Because in that battle right there, the king of Israel, well, the, the leader of Israel at the time kept going, can I kill him now? Can I kill him now? Can I kill him now? And the response came back from the Lord, actually, no, prepare them a banquet. What? What are you talking about? That's kind of crazy. Victory doesn't always look like you think. Remember when uh, um, Joshua goes in to take Jericho? He runs into the commander of the Lord's armies. And his sword is drawn. And Joshua looks at him and says, uh, whose side are you on? You see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and the heavens and the earth were completed, all the hosts of them. You know what that means? That we have a God who opened his mouth and not only did light come out going 180,000 miles per second, but when he opened his mouth, he created everything out of nothing, which means that every atom and every molecule lined up in a row like a army and did exactly what he told them to do. I've taught maybe I've taught you this Hebrew in the past. God created something from nothing. Elohim bara. Elohim is the plural God acting as one and bara means to create something from nothing in the Hebrew. It's bara. You can remember this. A bara makes something from nothing. Are you going to remember that? A bara Make something from nothing. So that is our God. Oh, by the way, a saw means that I make something new from something that already exists. That's beautiful. So when he created woman, he made something new from something that already existed. I love that too because I just used that to counsel someone the other day. Listen, he doesn't have to make something new out of nothing. He can take what's already existed and make it new. In this case, it was a marriage. And I'm like, listen, you can have a second marriage with this same man. It's just a different marriage. He can make something new out of something that's already there if two people are willing to work. That's a beautiful word. So you know two Hebrew words today. Barah, to make something from nothing. And asah to make something new from something that already exists. The Lord of the angel armies. There is nothing our God cannot do. So when Hannah went in to pray, she knew exactly what she was saying. When Hannah left, the most beautiful thing is it says that her countenance was changed. Her countenance was changed. Not her circumstances. Because she still didn't have a son. And here's the thing. She still wanted one, but she didn't need one. There's a difference. You see, if she believed in a God who creates something from nothing, a God that could quicken or make her womb alive to produce a son, if she believed and loved a God like that, then she could trust him whether he did it or not. 
Because if she's worried about her worth or her security, God's got it. So she still wanted it, but she didn't need it. Can I tell you that's the place to be? I still want somebody, if I'm being honest. I want a partner, but I don't need it. There's a difference. When you go out seeking out of a need because something is missing and you're not whole, you're in a very vulnerable situation. But when you are watching and waiting, God, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear. I still want it, but I don't need it because you are enough. God is my husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. I remind myself of that all the time. And she is reminding herself. Faith means rejoicing in God when our dreams are still unfulfilled. I don't know if you've ever heard, have y'all ever heard that Selah song? It says, great places where grace is soon to be so amazing. It may be unfulfilled. It may be unrestored. But when anything that's shattered is laid before the Lord, just watch and see. It will not be unredeemed. One thing I know is I grew up knowing I was redeemed. I was saved. The Lord bought me back with his blood. But one thing I've learned as an adult is he doesn't just redeem the lost. Listen, he redeems the broken parts of the saved. Nothing is wasted. He will redeem those parts and he will use those parts if we allow him to. And so Hannah went and she poured out and she gave that need to God she still wanted it, and she made a vow that if he blessed her with it, she would give him the son. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning, and they worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Her countenance changed, but not her circumstances. I don't think she faked it. Listen, I want to tell you something. It is okay not to be okay. It is okay as a believer not to be okay. Jesus had times when he was not okay. And if Jesus can have those times, I think we can. If you remember, he walked out to his three very best friends and said what? I'm not okay. My heart is so broken. It, it, I am sorrowful to death. I, I am seriously, I am so sorrowful I'm about to die. Now let me ask you something. Did he need them to tell him a verse? No. Did he need their advice? No. No, he didn't. He did not need them to tie his problem up in a beautiful little bow and go, well, have faith in God. No. What did he say? Can you just not stay awake for, with me for a couple hours? What did he need from them? He needed them to abide with him. 
and pray. And can I tell you, that is what women need when they're not okay. It's okay that they're not okay. Sit with them. Go to lunch. Listen. Cry with them. Pray hard for them. If you have the opportunity to encourage, encourage. But listen, it's okay. Because here are the words that drive me crazy in this story. In due time. Did you hear that? In due time, God gave her a son. Well, I just think those words are rude. (laughs) What is due time? I have no idea. I don't know how long she had to wait. But I know this. Rarely have I seen God be in the business of instant gratification. How about y'all? No, because I'm going to tell you it is in the due time that the maturity happens. I have learned to pray differently because if I'm going to preach that through suffering and pain and in due time maturity happens, then I have got to believe it when my kids are going through it. Because I want them out of that in due time because I'm not happy if they're there. Let's be honest. I want them to be happy so that I can be happy. But the fact is, I want them to be mature in the Lord more than that. And if I want that, then guess what they need in their life? In due time. They need it. So I have learned to pray, thank you God, for in due time. Thank you. Teach it to him. Teach him everything he knows, needs to know. Get her now, Lord. Penetrate that heart. Whatever it takes, Lord, they're yours. You love them more than me. She had to wait in due time. There's one more thing I want you to know about Hannah. We're skipping a little forward, but this is what happens. She does keep her vow, and she gives her son into full-time service to the Lord to work in the tabernacle under the high priest Eli that we're going to learn about. And she lets him go. I cannot imagine that. So by the time he's weaned, we're talking kindergarten age. Okay? That's pretty much the year of weaning in Scripture. I remember watching Zachary, plump-kneed little five-year-old, six-year-old, with his little book, little book bag going to Northwest Christian School. Oh, that's a horrible place, right? Listen, when you see where Samuel went, Northwest, he was going to be loved to pieces. It's good. It is a good thing. But I don't know if you guys were like me. I walked him in there. I had a smile on my face. I thought, oh, yeah, you know, you're in school. I saw him sit down in that desk. And when I did, I could feel it coming. And I thought, you better get out of that classroom. Because if Zachary saw his mom cry, he was such a mama's boy at the time. He would have been, he would have run out with me. It would have been over with. And so I'm like, okay, you got it. Way to go, big boy. Have fun at school today. And I turned around and I sobbed my brains out till I got to that probably minivan, to be quite honest with you. And I got in there and I cried my guts out. And I remember calling Doug and going, he's in school. And he's like, Shannon, you're picking him up at noon. And I'm like, I don't care. Once they go to school, they're gone. And hello, that's exactly how fast it seems. So I cannot imagine Hannah watching her son go in to be under Eli and to be growing with two boys that we're going to meet, or men, Hophni and Phinehas. All right? 
That was not the best environment. But I want you to see how faithful his mother was. 1 Samuel 2.18 says this. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy clothed in a linen epid. And his mother used to make him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Did you catch that, what she did every year? She was not even with her son. But what did she do? She made him a robe every year. This is how I picture her. She is sitting in her rocking chair after she's done all of the things she had to do that day because she had five more kids. And she is making this robe for that boy and praying her guts out. And can I just tell you that when we look at Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, there is going to be such a comparison there because this mom was so faithful in the background, not even in his presence, fighting on his behalf as she is making that robe every day she is praying for her boy. I'm going to tell you what, he turned out to be quite the man. And I love the fact that here you see Hannah and she is in such a contrast with maybe another woman we know in scripture during the same time. Her name is Deborah. Do you remember her? Deborah was an amazing woman too. And she was a powerful prayer. She was a prophetess and she was a judge. And you know how it started? Every day she went out to the palm tree near her place looking out over the hill country, and she prayed to God on behalf of the nation. She went out to that palm tree so much that they named the stinking palm tree after her. The Bible says it was called the Palm of Deborah. She went there so much, and she sought the Lord. And in a time where God wasn't speaking much, why in the world would he speak to a woman? It was a different culture. The priesthood was established. So why was God speaking to a woman? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, if anyone opens the door, I will come in and I'll sit down and have dinner with you and we'll chat. You want to know why I think God talked to Deborah? It's because she was the only one at the time that was opening the door. And when she did, God spoke and she transformed Israel. They came from all over to seek her wisdom. And listen, she was a very different woman because she had judicial clout. She had political clout. That woman went to battle with the commander of the Israelite army to go up against the Canaanites. She was very different, but yet aren't they the same? Two women making themselves available to God. One out there. She was out there. She was up front. Matter of fact, Sisera didn't even want to go to battle unless she went. They wanted to see her. She was up front. She was a powerful woman. And she spoke the words of God. But yet she was no better 
No different than this mom who was sitting back rocking in her rocking chair every day sewing a robe for her Samuel because Samuel was going to change the culture as well. What is the key? The key is you be available and you be you. People are like, I don't know my calling. Really? You're standing in it. You are standing in your calling. Neither one of those women had to go off and leave their families to some mission or some calling. They asked God to speak to them right where they were and God used them right where they were. There is not another you. There's not. God has designed you exactly like you are. You look like he wants you to look. He's given you gifts and talents. He's given you personalities that are completely different than one another. He has given you different parents. He has given you different siblings, different backgrounds, different family lives, different pain, different rejoicing. And he wants you to use all of that and be available to him. And I'm going to tell you, he will use even your wounds to impact the kingdom. That's what he wants. That is why we get our face in the book. This right here is why we study the Bible. Because I believe that Romans had it right when it said, listen, all this stuff was written down so that through your endurance, you would be encouraged in the scripture. Encourage one another in the scripture. Pray tonight. Seek the Lord. Lord, here I am. I'm making myself available. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear what you are doing. And show me how to join you. I want you to use me. And I'm going to tell you right now, if he only used the perfect, dear Lord, who would he use? Be available to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. God, I pray that your word would inspire these women. Number one, God, that you just love them. You're crazy about them. You literally hum over them and sing over them like we did our children as we rocked them. Lord, you do not sleep or slumber because you are preparing a place for us. You are always at work and you have pledged your love to us and you have given us a gift so that we remember you're serious about it. You have given us the Holy Spirit. One day, Lord, you will come and shout and get your bride. Until then, Lord, you're at work. But we do sleep and you can't wait until we open our eyes that morning. You want to talk to us. You have always pursued us. Do not let the enemy convince us that we're too busy. Don't let the enemy convince us that you're mad at us because we've done something stupid or our world didn't turn out the way we thought it should. Lord, I know as a parent, there is nothing my kid could do that I would not love them and want to talk to them. Nothing. And so God, let me remember that about you. And Lord, I pray that as these women seek you and talk to you, and you pour into their hearts your word, Lord, I pray that they would be available, that they would lift up their eyes and look around, that we would get beyond ourselves and see, listen, the harvest is out there. 
There are women who are enduring and yet they have no encouragement in the scripture. They do not know Jesus and I don't know how they're making it. And so God, let me be quick to listen, quick to embrace them, quick to abide with them. God, let us teach our children the stories so that they know who you are. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful night. How lucky we are to live here. We worship you. You are Yahweh. You are the great I am. And you are the Lord of hosts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.